Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Feel very best of health. It's been estimated that between 75% and 80% of the adult population have some form of foot problem that many of us put up with rather than seek medical intervention. Podiatrist Tony Gavin is from Pods Fix Feet. The French have a wonderful saying about the feet are far from the head and far from the heart. They're really not considered as much when we think about our general health. Most people in your life, you have heard them say at some point, my feet are killing me, and it's kind of brushed off and not really taken as a concern. If they mentioned any other body part, it probably would have asked for a little bit more inquiry as to what the problem is. But we kind of accept foot pain as being normal and it's not normal a pain signal is a signal that there is something wrong and we need to do something about it tony footwear is cited as one of the biggest causes of foot problems in the uk a survey undertaken on behalf of the college of podiatry found that people are nearly twice as likely to buy shoes that are too small for them as too big footwear is absolutely vital but number one they're right for the job and that they offer the correct level of function we require from them whether that is support whether it's protection whether it's a certain amount of flexibility whether it's a certain amount of traction on the surface it's a different experience buying shoes as an adult than when you're a child when you're a child quite often your feet will get measured you will try the shoes on it will be assessed if they fit you and if you get it wrong there's an immediate feedback and there's a process involved there which doesn't occur in our adult years. And we have this number in our head as to what size shoes we were, and that's what we go and buy. And then we have the selection of shoes in our cupboard at home, some of which are comfortable, some of which are not so comfortable, but we keep them because we like the way that they look or because they cost a certain amount of money when perhaps they're not the best shoes for our feet. A lot of attention is rightly placed on the development of young feet at the other end of the spectrum. As we get older through wear and tear, there's an increased likelihood of problems. And I understand also that there are groups of people amongst us who need to be particularly conscious of their foot health. Rather than me listing through a whole host of conditions and people think, oh, I've not got that, I'm okay. I think the best thing to think about is, do I have any health conditions which I've been told can affect my nervous system as to what sensation I'm getting from any part of my body? Anything which is affecting my skin and anything which is affecting the blood supply or return. I think they're the key things to really think about. Of course, there are other things as well, but We can't really do an exhaustive list, but but they're the key things to consider. Chiropodists of old are now referred to as podiatrists. Podiatry is available on the NHS, but accessing the service may be different depending on where you live and your circumstances. Going private may offer a quicker route to being seen, but of course you'd have to pay for that. A key function of your website and that of the Royal College of Podiatries is to help put us in touch with local registered podiatrists. What does the term registered refer to? It's a protected title which is registered with the Health and Care Professions Council, the HCPC. You would have to complete a degree in podiatry. You would have to meet certain standards as well to show that you're a trustworthy and fit to practice individual. And finally, for those of us looking to keep our feet in tip-top condition, what self-help measures would you suggest? Making sure that you're in the appropriate pair of shoes for whatever activity it is. Making sure that your overall lifestyle is as healthy as it could be. So thinking about things like diet and exercise and getting adequate sleep and rest, they will all affect your foot health. And then also considering the health of your skin and nails, 
making sure that feet are being cleaned and dried properly, make sure we're changing socks regularly, make sure we're alternating between shoes. And then the other thing with skin as well is individuals can benefit from some level of moisturizer being added to their feet. There can be some complications with some individuals around that. Go and see a podiatrist and get advice on what's the best product for you to be using and is there anything else that is needed in addition to that. My grateful thanks to Tony Gavin. To find out more about foot health and to link through to specialists that can help, log on to our website, www.weddonhealth.com. That's www.weddonhealth.com. Word on health. Feel very best of health. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD as it's otherwise termed, was first recognised as a valid condition in the UK in the year 2000. Most cases of ADHD are diagnosed when children are under 12 years of age, but sometimes it's detected later in childhood and in some instances not until adulthood. It's a condition that's not been helped by myths and misinformation over the years. Research in 2021 found that ADHD stigma and myths are pervasive, affect self-perception and may also deter people from seeking treatment or cause them to feel guilt and shame when they do. Dr Val Harpin is a consultant neurodevelopmental paediatrician in Sheffield. Gradually we are getting the message over that this is something that is a real problem and that it can be helped. It's a developmental difficulty that involves a cluster of problems with inattention or poor concentration, fidgetiness and overactivity and with being impulsive, not being able to stop themselves doing things. It is very frequently a genetic problem. It is influenced by the environment on top of the genetics. It has to occur in a much more significant way than you would expect for a child of that sex, of that age and of that learning level. It has to have happened over a long time and it has to be present in more than one situation. So it can't just be at home or just be at school. It happens 24 hours a day. How prevalent is ADHD? Between 3 and 5% of school-aged children and it's more common in boys than in girls. Is it something that children can grow out of? A lot of children and young people do grow out of it. It is a developmental issue. It's not what people would call just a behaviour problem. Half of children who have severe ADHD will still have some problems when they're adults. We hear reports of the growing number of adults being diagnosed with ADHD and we'll have more details on the wordandhealth.com website. Your specialist area is neurodevelopmental paediatrics, so for this report, let's keep our focus on young people. What is the approach with regards to the treatment of ADHD in children? With younger children, it's very important that we look at behavioural management, helping the family understand ADHD, working out ways of helping this child manage their behaviour. In older children, we would also look at behavioural management first, and then depending on severity and the response to other things, then we think about medication. We would also think about extra support in school, parent groups, all sorts of additional support involving many professionals and agencies. It is difficult, though, to get enough resources for families, so we can't offer everything everywhere, and that's a problem. My grateful thanks to Dr Val Harpin. For more information on ADHD and links through to organisations that provide help and support, log onto our website, www.wedonhealth.com. That's www.wedonhealth.com. Word on Health. Feel very best of health. 
As has been well publicised, coronavirus disease, also known as COVID-19, is an infectious disease caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Although we're now being encouraged to live with it, it hasn't gone away. The vaccine programme in the UK has provided some protection, but you can still get coronavirus despite being vaccinated, but any illness should be less severe. Most people infected with the virus will experience mild to moderate respiratory illness and recover fully without requiring special treatment within a few days or weeks and be fully fit within three months. For some people, though, symptoms can last longer. This is called Long Covid or Post-Covid-19 Syndrome, something that Dr Margaret O'Hara, a founding trustee of the Long Covid support charity, knows only too well. Margaret, how many people do we estimate are living with Long Covid across the UK? Kind of hovering around 2 million for quite a while now. And we reckon that there are probably some people recovering from it, but then there are new people getting it. For me, I don't really see that that's going to change very much because we're making no attempt whatsoever to limit the spread of COVID. Variants are still happening. We're still getting breakthrough infections. So we will still have more and more people being infected. So I think there will be a constant supply of new people with long COVID. I understand that long COVID means that your symptoms carry on for over four weeks after your initial COVID infection. And you might even have new health problems. There can be more than 200 symptoms. They come and go, differ from patient to patient, and new ones can appear weeks or months later. The number of symptoms is very large because it's a systemic disease. SARS-CoV-2 affects the vasculature. It also affects your immune system. It can affect your nervous system as well. Every part of the body can be affected, but the most common things are fatigue and in particular post-exertional malaise. So this is a symptom that doesn't get mentioned an awful lot in research, but is actually really, really important. So it's not just that you're tired. Fatigue is like really intense, inappropriate tiredness. It's like a level of tiredness which is beyond beyond anything which you've done that day which should cause that amount of tiredness. You just feel really ghastly. Then there's specific things like headaches, joint pain, muscle pain, continued breathing problems, continuous cough, chest pain, problems with your voice and your throat. Tinnitus is a really quite common one. I think another really key one as well is the cognitive difficulties. You just can't think as well. You're just not as sharp. Things that you know you should know and you just can't bring them to your mind. So those kind of things can be really, really debilitating. It's a really mixed bag and you can have some and not others. You can have two people with long COVID who have completely different symptoms that don't even overlap. And it also fluctuates. You might have complete remission at times. And then you have these relapses. And that's difficult for, say, your employer or your family or other people around you, because some days you can do something and it's fine. Other days, it's just off the table. And do we have any idea as to how long long is? There are plenty of people who have never recovered from getting the original COVID in the first wave. For me, I got it first in March 2020. So I had long COVID, dragged on for ages, but I recovered. Then I got it again in October 21. And again, I recovered. It took four months. So that was pretty quick. And then I got it again in July 2022. And I haven't recovered at all, really. So I think that's another thing that people perhaps don't factor into their risk calculations if they even think about it. A lot of people have had COVID. It was nothing. Maybe they felt a bit grotty for a couple of weeks and then they're fine. So I think some people think, well, I'm okay with COVID. I don't need to worry about COVID because I've had it and I know it's okay. That might be true the first time, maybe even the second time. 
it doesn't mean you won't get long COVID. We did some survey work last year, a reinfection survey, to ask people about how they get on with reinfection. And I asked after which of your COVID infections did you first get long COVID? And there were people there who were saying they first got it after the second, and some people saying they first got it after the third. So you can recover completely from it, but then get long COVID the next time. The ONS did some work on that, looking at people in their nationwide coronavirus infection survey. These are the people that they send out samples to, it's random sampling. So they've got a bunch of people there who've had COVID before in a specific period, and then they've sampled them again to find out how many of those people who recovered the first time got COVID again and then got long COVID. And there's still a significant risk. 30% fewer of them got long COVID after the second infection than the first. But honestly, 30% reduction in risk is not a big enough reduction in risk for my money. The NHS is doing its best to help those amongst us who live with long COVID. Whilst there may be treatment options for secondary conditions that arise because of long COVID, we don't yet have a pill or vaccine to cure it. There's much that we still don't understand. What we do know is that support from people who are living with long COVID can be vital, which is what the Long COVID Support Group facilitates through online support. You get a lot of posts in the group, the first posts, which are, I've just found this group, I can't believe, I'm reading everyone's posts and I'm crying because I'm, I feel validated for the first time. We also run a research group where we could interact directly with scientists and researchers and other people who are trying to find the answers to it. We try and promote research and also research involvement. So research involvement being people with long COVID getting involved in the design and management of studies and also for the results of research, posting papers, um, discussing papers that have been published. It's a community of knowledgeable people who are able to read studies and understand them and explain them. For me, that's just brilliant because I don't have that knowledge. It's like a hive mind of scientifically interested people who are motivated to know because they've got long COVID themselves. My grateful thanks to Dr Margaret O'Hara from the Long COVID Support Charity. To find out more and link through to the organisation, log on to our website, www wordandhealth.com that's www.wordandhealth.com word on health on air and online 52 weeks of the year with paul pennington word on health your personal prescription for your very best of health